0: Welcome again to the Book of Job, everybody. Uh, I think, if I uh, calculate correctly, this is our seventh adventure in the Book of Job. And today, as I've said many times, please will you have the Book of Job in front of you, uh, whether electronically or on some poor uh, cut-down tree. Please make sure you have it in front of you because uh, that'll be very helpful. We're going to cover a large section in this talk. But we're going to go quite quickly because there's really just one main idea. So, we are in Job chapter 29. But we'll be going through 29, 30, and 31. So, Job chapter 29. Please get there. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. And we'll think about it together. So, let's pray. Father, we come now to these ancient written words they haven't been doctored they haven't been fiddled with they have been preserved and kept perfectly for hundreds of years and so we as modern people with mobile phones and technology and even here on the internet we come to these ancient words what possible relevance could they have for us in 2020. Please. If you are eternal. And timeless. We expect your words. To be the same. So show us. Teach us we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Sometimes. Our last words. Can have a lasting impact. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, the very last things we say are often the weightiest things we've ever said. Uh, you, you, I, I, maybe you're like me, but you say lots of frivolous things lots of the time. But it's unlikely that when you know you're saying your very last words that you're going to say something like, I left the toaster on. Or uh, Usually your last words are often your weightiest words words, the, the most impactful things you ever say. It's almost as if as you exit, you know, your last words, they, they, they hang around. They keep echoing. Very, very weighty. And it's understandable why this is the case. Because you're dying. Uh, it's never happened to me before. And as you're listening to this, I gather it hasn't happened to you either. But as you're dying and life as you've always known it is slipping away and you're leaving this planet. It's a momentous probably the biggest moment of your life. You're leaving this planet. The last things you say really affect people. They, they, They are impactful. I'll give you an example. Think about these words. I can't breathe. Those are the last words on this planet of a dying man. And those are easily, I, I don't know if anyone knows a single other thing that man ever said. But those last three words, I can't breathe, are so weighty. They're so impactful that they've literally upset the whole world. Almost everyone is thinking about those words. And and, and rightly so. And lots of us are going through some introspection on the basis of those words. They make us stop and look at our own lives. They, they are that weighty. But here's a lot of what people are not thinking about. And, and I'm about to tell you, an, well maybe it's not a new idea to you. But it's a new idea for many people. And it may be for you too. Your last words on earth, as weighty as they may be, are instantly followed by your very first words to your creator when you meet him face to face. A lot of us think about the last things we say on earth. But few of us think about what comes immediately after that. What are the very first things I'm going to say? Your last words, breathing air, spoken into this atmosphere, are actually not your last words. They're the last ones here. But suddenly, you're in the spiritual world. And you're about to speak your very first words in that world. Here's the thing. Many folk have thought about their last words in this life. I mean, have you? Have you really? If, if you get the luxury of being able to speak uh, when you leave this world. But should you be granted that luxury and you can speak, what are you going to say? What are your last words going to be? You know, see ya. Or, you know. Sorry. A lot of people, so many people say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Many people say that. But really, what are you going to say? Any last words? Words you've wanted to say your whole life. And they've been on the tip of your tongue. but, But you've for some reason always held back. And now that you're lying there. And who cares now? You let it all out. Maybe you've thought about what you're actually going to say. But how many people have thought about what their first words are going to be when they meet God? How many people have put time and effort into thinking what they're going to say when they meet God? I mean, can you imagine? Who can imagine what it must be like when you suddenly realize it's all real? It's real. There really is Life after death. And and you're before God, the creator spirit of everything that is and ever has been. And there you are before him. What are you going to say? I've often said, I I think we should prepare. I think we should think about it, at least. You know, when you meet that gorgeous girl, you prepare. You know, you see her and, you know, you're going to meet her and, You're prepared, don't you? There she is in all her radiant beauty. You you think of a cool thing to say, you know. uh, I I don't know. uh, I I was reading the book of Numbers and I suddenly realized I don't have yours. Okay, so that's not a cool thing to say. But you you want to say something, right? And you think about it. Why be more prepared to meet a temporal beauty on earth than when you meet the ultimate beauty? Beauty. The eternal beauty. The source of all beauty. The flawless beauty. God himself. What are you going to say? What's your line going to be? Let me show you something Jesus said. Which I think is very important. Everything Jesus said is important. But listen to this. I tell you. This is Jesus from Matthew chapter 12. I tell you on the day of judgment... People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified. And by your words you'll be condemned. Notice, this is so comforting in one sense. It's terrifying. another. You know? But this shows us that God takes what you say seriously. God loves you. And so he takes what you say seriously. He doesn't dismiss it. And Jesus says you'll give an account for every careless word you say. Why prepare what we're going to say as we leave this world? Why be prepared for what we're going to say to dying people? And not be prepared for what we're going to say to the undying God. A split second after our last words here. Yeah, I'll tell you why we do that. And the answer is easy. It's because it's easy to sell yourself to your fellow sinners. It's easy to paint yourself as a saint to your fellow sinners. But it's much harder to say something clever to the God of moral perfection. How do you sell yourself to him? What what do you say to God? There you stand with God, right? Imagine you standing with God and both of you turn and you look back over your life. You survey your existence with God. What are you going to say? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. It's okay. Overall, okay, I I can see a couple of things there that I'm I'm not proud of those things. But if you look at it all, it's not bad. There's quite a bit of improvement towards the end. (laughs) You can do all of that to your fellow sinners, your fellow failures. But when you do that with God, as you turn and look and see God, he's horrified. He's appalled. He still can't get over the very first slip up. He can't get over it. Even your best moments are giving him the shivers. Because Jesus said every careless word. Now the reason I speak like this and the reason I raise this. And I don't mind that the series in Job has been pretty heavy. You know? I'm not telling fluffy jokes here. I know it's heavy. And the reason I raise these is because today, as we look at Job 29, 30, and 31, we come to the last words of Job. This is the end. Job is going to survey his life. And he's going to speak his very last words. And it's extraordinary what we're going to see. Yeah, Well, Job's going to tell us three things. Here they are. I, he's looking over his life. He's all his last words. And Job says three things. One, I had it all. I had it all. Job 29. Two, I've lost everything. Job 30. And astonishingly. Number three, but I am innocent. I am innocent. It's, it's an extraordinary summary of a human life. It's an amazing Bunch of last words. Uh, It's not not often. uh, In fact, I can't think of anyone who would speak like this. And so I've entitled this talk, When it feels like all is lost. And I've called it this, and I think you're going to see why as we go through. When it feels like I've lost everything. So let's look at it together. First of all, Job says, I had it all. And we're going to go, admittedly, quite quickly through these verses. Because I want to draw one point from all of this. First of all, Job says, uh, Job 29, I had it all. We're coming to the end of Job's words. I had it all. Look at Job 29. I'll go quite quickly. He looks back over his life and he says this. Oh, that I were as in the months of old. As in days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone upon my head. And by his light I walked through darkness. And I was in my prime. (laughs) And I hope you did smile. Because there's so many phrases in the English language. You know the the Bible is so affected the English language for whatever reason. um, So many phrases we use. We don't even know where they come from. They come from the Bible. And here's one of them. I was in my prime. When the friendship of God. Verse 4. Was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. Wah! You know, it's a case of how the older I get, the better it was. You know, I think we're all a bit like that, but but for Job, this was almost true. It, It was amazing. This I had it all. You know, when I, when I went out, to the, I even had the approbation of everyone around me. I, I had, people loved me. People thought I was amazing. Verse 7, when I, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, that's where the who's who, the la does, um, sit all together. The young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood, and, and the princes refrained from talking and laid their hands on their mouths. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of mouth. When I spoke, everyone kept quiet. Because what I said was, woo, you want to listen to that guy, you know. Uh, uh, verse 11, when the ear heard it, it called me blessed. And when the eyes saw it, it approved. Because, you know why they listened to me? You, quite honestly, because I was a good guy. Look, look, look. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I was known as a social justice warrior. I really was. I fought for the weak and the disenfranchised and the widows and the poor. Verse 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me and my justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Then I thought I shall... Well, this is what happens. Job says, and then I thought it was always going to be this way. I had it all and I thought I will always have it all. So look at what Job says. Then I thought I shall die in my nest. I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me. My bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. And after I spoke, they didn't speak again. My word dropped upon them. They waited for me as as for the rain. They opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. The light of my face they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief. And I lived like a king among his troops. Like one, this is so ironic, like one who comforts mourners. It, it, you go through that. Look, I don't have time to show you there's, there's David in there. There's Adam in there. He's picking up all these biblical characters. I, I don't have time to show you all of that. But ironically, I had it all. Job looks over his life and he says, I had it all. And what do you feel when he does this? What do you, what do you want to say to Job? Don't you want to say, Job... Stop looking backwards. Uh, You know, that might be something reasonable to say to him. Or you might say, Job, don't dwell on the past. Let it go. Don't dwell on the past. Why does he do this? Why does Job spend a whole chapter rehearsing the fact that he had it all? Why does he do that? Well, the answer is because this is what makes his present situation unbearable. This is what makes his suffering so bad. Job is a classic case of the disinherited prince principle. Now, forgive me. Lately, it just feels to me like I've been talking about this thing a lot. Uh, we had our life course on Wednesday night. You're welcome to go look at that. And we spoke a little bit more about this. So I feel like I'm talking about this a lot. But I'm going to tell it to you again. The disinherited prince principle is a way of understanding suffering. What it kind of like says is that all suffering is experienced as loss. All suffering is occasioned by loss. By definition, suffering is about loss. It's about losing someone. No one suffers when they haven't lost anything. Job had it all, right? Right. Think with me. When I lose something, when I don't have something that I once had, it hurts. My, my favorite illustration of this is, is if you meet someone with one eye, it hurts. They're disappointed. They used to have two eyes. But now they've only got one eye. And it, it, it's not nice. It, it's something they'll have to work through. It, it's loss. It's suffering. If you meet someone with both eyes gone, they are almost inconsolable. Because they've lost double. They used to have two eyes. And the loss of two eyes is almost inconsolable. Now, have you ever met someone... Absolutely broken because they didn't have three eyes. Well, no. And the reason is because no one's ever had three eyes. No one suffers because they don't have three eyes. They only ever had two eyes. Now, it's silly. But that's what the disinher- Now, Now, ratchet that up. If you had a prince who was accustomed to living in riches... And a palace and having everything, who gets disinherited, well, they suffer. It's, it's almost inconsolable for them. It's distraught. Uh, uh, sorry, it's, a, it's an, a distraught experience for them. They, the prince, can't live like us slobs. We're happy. We were never in the palace, we were never a prince. They can't come down to our level because it hurts. They experience loss. Ask Prince Harry. No, wait. Prince Harry can't get over it. So he's left the princess or whatever that word is. But he still lives in a palace. He's still got bodyguards. He can't come down. It'll hurt him too much to live like us slobs. Job is a disinherited prince. He had it all. Are you ready for the surprise? And so are you. And so am I. In this world, we suffer because we know we were made for something better. We have lost something. Ah, oh, sure, sure. We haven't lost. Like Job has. True. True. But we've lost something. This is why this world can't satisfy. I don't need to prove that to you. That's proven by 8 billion experiments. 8 billion people will tell you nothing in this world satisfies. And the answer is because we have lost something. We were not born this way. Something has gone wrong in all of us, and it hurts. Now, of course, to different degrees, and you know, you get cancer, you will suffer more. Why? Because you've lost health, and those who don't have cancer won't suffer in that way. But to some extent or another, all of us, whether we've lost one eye or two eyes, all of us have lost something. We are all disinherited princes and princesses. We were made, are you ready? We were made to live in a palace. We were designed to enjoy God. We were made to walk underneath God as his princes and princesses. We were made to rule over his creation. Not dominate. Not exploit. Rule over his creation. In a constant state of love and harmony. And it's gone. It's gone. God has gone. Which is the most painful thing. As Job himself says. Come back with me. Look at 29. Look what Job says in the opening words. You know, when you're suffering... You usually pick the biggest thing first, right? Look what Job says. Oh, that as I was in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through it all. I was in my prime. He's not saying because I could run the hundred meters in ten seconds. I was in my prime. Do you know why? When the friendship of God was upon my tent. Or verse 5. When the Almighty was yet with me, when he was still with me, but it's gone. Loving relationships have gone. Job's wife is gone. His children are dead. His friends have turned on him. His health has gone. Actually, you know what? I'll let Job describe what life is like now, because that's the second thing. Job said, I've lost everything. I've lo- And I'm going to show you that you can relate. Not, not to the same degree. Maybe some of you can relate to the same degree. But I doubt it. But you will be able to relate. Look with me at Job 30. I'll go through it very quickly. But now, look at those words. But now, that's what it was. This is what it is. But now they laugh at me. There is a stripping of dignity. Men who are younger than I. His fathers I I wouldn't even let look after my dogs. Whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. I I could gain nothing from them. Those children laugh at me. They mock at me. Let's go down to verse 9. And now I've become their song. I'm a byword to them. They abhor me. They keep aloof from me. They don't hesitate to spit at the side of me. Or as I know of another man where they actually spat on him. Verse 11. Because God has loosed my cord and humbled me. They've cast off restraint in my presence. On my right hand the rebels rise. They push away my feet. They cast up against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They need no one to help them. As through a wide breach breach they come. Amid the crash they roll on. Terrors are turned upon me. My honor is pursued as by the wind. My prosperity has passed away like a cloud. We live in Perth. We know what it looks like when clouds disappear. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. Look, look down to verse 19. God. God has turned his back on me. God has cast me into the mire. And I've become like dust and ashes. And I cry to you for help. And you don't answer me. I stand. You know what you do God. You just look at me. You say nothing. You just look at me. You have turned cruel to me. When I think of God. First word that jumps in my head. Cruel. Can you relate? With the might of your hand. You persecute me. Verse 24. Yet does not one in the heap of ruin stretch out his hand. And in his disaster cry for help. What Job does here is he says, but you know what? When others suffered, I jumped to their rescue. Did I not weep? Verse 25. For him whose day was hard, was not my soul greed for the needy? But when I hoped for good, this is, this is the, the unfairness feeling when we suffer. It's just totally unfair. But when I hoped for good, verse 26, evil came. And when I lighted, waited for light, darkness came. I had it all, says Job. I've lost everything. Now, by God's grace, I suspect we're not that bad. But you know, many of you hearing me will think, I've been through times like that, where I have felt like I've lost everything. I feel like I've lost everything. Well, I think you'll be able to relate to what Job is saying. But I want to take it further. And I want everyone to hear. A day is coming when you will experience this. It's not just suffering. It's a destiny we're all heading towards. There is a day when we will die. And when you die, you will lose everything. You'll be, you, you'll be stripped of everything. Don't believe them. Dying is never dignified. It's wrong. To die is wrong. It's not the way it should be. No dying is dignified. I I remember, uh, and I'm aware children might be watching this, but I I, I want to speak frankly and honestly with you. I remember seeing my dead mum when I went to say goodbye. And when she lay there dead, I remember thinking, she used to be prettier than that. It, It just was such an overwhelming sense that this is not what it should be. This is wrong. This is, this is wrong. I, like Job, in a split second looked over the past. No, no, this, this is not what it should be. Don't believe them who say that dying is natural. Don't believe them when they say you should accept it. If it was natural, why does it hurt so much? Job is a disinherited prince. And it hurts. And you and I, maybe as I keep saying, not to the same extent, although when you die you will be. We also, both you and me, are disinherited princes and princesses. And it hurts. But here comes a surprise. An immense surprise. And this is where you and I are very different to Job. Here comes a horrible shock. Because Job's final words, and this is the last thing Job, he says a bit to God later on. But in terms of his argument, these are his final words in the book of Job. This is what he says. It's astonishing. Job 31. I am innocent. This is where you and I are very, very different. Job says, I had it all. I lost everything. But. I'm innocent. I'm totally innocent. And as we go through chapter 31, and once again, we'll go very quickly. In chapter 31, there's such a clear pattern. Job says, if I've done this, fine. Then I deserve this. If I've done this, then I deserve this. But when you go through it, what you're going to see is Job says, if I've done this, then I deserve, but I haven't. And the overwhelming message is, I don't deserve this. Look with me very quickly. So Job's final appeal. I'm sure your Bible says that. Verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? Job's calling God as a witness. God, have I ever done this? Be honest. And so he begins with the heart. And he says, God, my heart has never turned away from you. Ever. Look what he says. If I walked with falsehood, or if I've told lies, and my feet have hastened to deceit, then let me be weighed in a just balance. Let God show me my iniquity. I don't even want to read. I get frightened reading those words. That's the last thing I'm ever going to say to God. Show me my iniquity. Job says show it to me because I haven't done it. If my step is turned aside from the way and my my heart has gone after my eyes. Has your heart ever gone after your eyes? Ever? you sure? Never? I bought a cheesecake day before yesterday. Yep. None left. My heart went after my eyes. And if any spot is stuck to my hands, then, then, fine, fine, judge me. Let me sow and another eat and let what grows for me be rooted out. Or, or verse 9, if my heart has been enticed towards a woman. It's not just that my heart's turned from you. Has my heart turned to other things and in particular always women? Have I turned there? And have, if I've lain in wait at my neighbor's door, then let my... I'm not going to explain these words. There are children present. Then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime. And that would be an iniquity to be punished by the job. That would be a fire that consumes as far as a Abaddon. And it would burn to the root of all my Fine, says Job. Send me to hell. Let me burn. If I've done that. It's so ironic. Because Job's saying, I'm innocent. And I didn't do this. And yet, if you look at it closely, that's actually what happened to him. Fire fell and burnt his children and his house. Well, verse 13. If I've rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, and they've brought a complaint against me, well, then what will I do when God comes? Go to the labor court. Go speak to fair trade and fair practice. I've never been unjust. Ever. Or how about down to verse 16. Yeah, yeah, but you might say to me, yeah, but you you had it all. Job, you were just a very selfish. But you weren't a bad guy, but you didn't share. No. Verse 16. If I've withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or I've, I've eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless have not. Job's saying I was generous to a fault. I shared everything. Everything. Verse 19. I, if I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering. If his body had not blessed me. In other words, Job can say, call witnesses. You'll see lots of poor people have said, thank God for Job. If it wasn't for Job, I wouldn't have a sleeping bag or whatever. Or verse 24. Yeah, Job. You know what your sin was? Is that you had it all, right? But you started trusting in your riches. No, said Job. I'm innocent of that too. Verse 24 If I made gold my trust, or gold, called fine gold my confidence, if I rejoiced because of my wealth was abundant, or if that, fine, judge me. Job says, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Or verse 29. If I rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me. That's that cool German word, schadenfreude. When you rejoice in the suffering of the wicked. Uh, You didn't do it, but (laughs) Job says, I didn't even do that. On the contrary, says Job, when the wicked and my enemies fell, I mourned and cried because of it. And so he carries on. Verse 38. If my land has cried out against me. And it's furrows. Job is even saying. You know you greenies. Even you greenies can't find fault with me. Because I protected the environment. Look. If I've eaten its yield without payment. And made its owners breathe their last. Then let what happened to Adam. Happen to me. Let thorns grow instead of wheat. And foul weeds instead of wheat. The words of Job. Or ended. Oh. How's those for last words? God I had it all. I've lost everything. But I am innocent. I did not deserve what happened to me. How would you summarize what Job's doing here? Well I guess it's one word. It's the word we've described our whole series. It's the word why. God, why? I had it all. I've lost everything through you. Job's very clear. It's God. Why? Why? I'm innocent. Why? Do you think there's a case for God to answer? Do you think God should answer? Job thinks so. Look, I missed these verses. Go back to 31, verse 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Look at this. Job says, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Oh, wow. Job's saying, I'm writing it down. God, you've got a case to answer. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like all is lost? And you're innocent. And that you, sh- God must give you an answer. Well, before I go there, I just want you to be very careful. Very careful. You are not innocent like Job was. And nor am I. When I went through Job 31, I hope you looked. And as I went through it, thought, "Oh, well, okay, so I'm not going to write Job 31. Those are not going to be my last words. So, what's the answer? See, here's the answer. Job is not the ultimate disinherited prince. There's another. There's another. Job's experience, I had it all. I lost everything. I'm innocent. Why? That experience points us to somebody else. There is the real ultimate disinherited prince. The real one. You see, if you want to talk about loss, let me show you what loss looks like. Let me take you to a man called Jesus. Look at this. Jesus. You want to see what a prince looks like. Who, this all comes from Philippians chapter 2. Jesus who, though he was in very... Nature God. Oh. Let's talk about a prince. Can you get higher than that? In very nature God. Oh my goodness. We're not talking about butlers. We're not talking about limousines. And we're not talking about palace gardens. We're talking about the universe. It was all Jesus's. He owned it all. He was the prince, the son of God, before the world began. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be used for his own advantages. I hear echoes of Job there. Job, though he had it all, was generous. He didn't use it for his own advantage, nor did this prince. He did not use it for his own advantage. Oh my goodness. But emptied himself. This prince. Was disinherited. By his own doing. He chose. To give it all up. He emptied himself. He lost everything. He had it all. And he lost everything. He emptied himself. And he took the form Of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Here is the ultimate prince, Jesus. Who gives it all up and comes and becomes a prince on earth. No. Becomes a servant on earth. He lost everything. He gave everything up. Job can say, I didn't choose this. Jesus can't say that. Jesus chose it. He was innocent. Absolutely innocent. He goes, why? I want to go back to that word. Why? Why did he do it? Well, the answer is in the verses. It carries on. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point which no man has ever gone, not Job, to the point of death even. Death on a cross. Dwayne, Dwayne, lots of others have died on a cross. Yeah, that's not what I meant. It's here is the prince dying on a cross. Here is the innocent, the capital I, innocent, dying as a guilty person on the cross. On the cross, the innocent Jesus took our place. On the cross, the innocent Jesus swapped places with us. You see how Job spoke about, And now on my right hand side are sinners and I'm brought to the... Jesus is strung up. A public lynching. And on either side of him are transgressors and sinners. He has been brought from there to there. And he hangs on that cross... And he did it by choice. He did it to swap places with us. He did it because you and I, Job chapter 30, are not innocent. And so the innocent traded places with us. He died our death. Dwayne, how does this help with suffering now? I can see Job's life. He's pointing to this. How does this help with suffering? Now, well, I've got a better question for you. He has a better question, which I thought you meant to ask. If I'm suffering because I am a disinherited prince, what's the obvious question? Will I ever be reinstated? If my suffering is because I'm a disinherited princess, Will I ever be reinstated? Will I ever be put back in the palace? Will I ever go back to being what I was meant to be? The answer is, if you're a Christian. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Because look at what happened to him. Look at what happened to the ultimate disinherited prince. The verses carry on. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee The prince has been reinstated in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Bully for him. No. Because he died for you. He was raised for you. You now will be raised with him. You will be reinstated. You and I as disinherited. If, if, if you're a Christian. You will be reinstated. You will be glorified along with him. The clear teaching of Christianity is that Christians have died with Christ. Christians now suffer like Christ. And one day Christians will reign with Christ. And Job teaches us all of this. And we haven't even finished the book of Job. I had it all. I lost everything. I am innocent. That's what happened to Jesus. This is what happens to us. Because of Jesus. I have been made. Innocent. He died on that cross. Taking away my sin. Though I suffer now. I will have it all. Those three things are reversed because of Jesus. That's the Christian hope in suffering. And you'll see it. We're not finished as we go through the book of Job. Because of Jesus, I've been made innocent. Though I suffer now, I will have it all. Do you know, those last words, which are are still haunting me myself, you know. I can't breathe. Hopefully that will bring some real and, and needed change. But you know Jesus' last words? It is finished. It's finished. I've done it. Jesus' last words. It's finished. What, what are your last words? These are Job's last words. What are your last words going to be? I am innocent. Are are those going to be your last words? No. If you're a Christian, your last words aren't that important. But I can tell you what the first words you will hear as you enter the spiritual world. The first words you will hear... Are the same words from Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished. And left this planet. The first words you will hear after you die. Are his words. Not your own. And they will be. Welcome home. To where you belong. Those are Jesus words. We're not finished with the book of Job. Next week we're going to study a new guy. Elihu. And then. Very exciting. We're going to hear from God. As he enters the panel discussion. On suffering. But if something here has. Stood out for you once again. We've got a whole team of people. Who would love to reach out to you. And pray with you. I hope that you've heard what God says. Today clearly. Go read Job again, think about it, and pray. Amen.